Welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. Nineteen eighties. The Cold War ended and the Berlin Wall came down. The pilot episode of Seinfeld aired on NBC and The Simpsons premiered on Fox. A magnitude 6.9 earthquake hit the San Francisco Bay Area, killing 67 people and causing over 5 billion in damage. I wonder if that's 5 billion in 1989 dollars? Because that's insane. Yeah. The Mirage Hotel and Casino opens in Las Vegas as the first huge resort hotel. Favorite holiday gifts include TurboGrafx-16, Links by Atari, Nintendo Game Boy. TurboGrafx-16, that I remember that. Bonk's Adventures. <laughs> I like how the 16, like, is it means something. It wasn't that, like, uh, 16, like, megabyte? No, no, it was the. Uh, was it? It was, it was the, sixteen bit. It yeah, was it was sixteen bit. bit. Yeah, because because uh, remember Nintendo was eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their whole point was to 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 like clown on. Yeah, yeah. And silly then eight bit Nintendo didn't work out for them, but no, no. Super Nintendo came came out strong. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even put the number in there. They just put super. <laughs> uh, all right, births. Um, we're going full Marvel today. Gabe, got, Gabe, you never go for Marvel. Oh, I mean, I dis, I, I disagree. Phase one, full Marvel was a great thing to do. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen, American actress. Here she is. Uh, not a twin. No, and you know, you know what's funny? I don't know when I first started noticing her acting, and then it was like she was everywhere. Like she did really well. Old Boy was the good one that I that I remember watching her in the American version of Old Boy, and then and then yeah, Wanda. Okay, let's see. Um, she was in Godzilla in 2014. I didn't realize that. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, just all Marvel stuff recently. Uh, she was in one of uh, her sisters. <laughs> How the West was fun in '94. I guess she made it into that. <laughs> She also made it into the Adventures of Mary Kate and, and, and Ashley, which I think is the TV show, mm-hmm. ninety four through ninety seven. She was on Harmon Quest. I have no idea what that is. Hang on, uh, a comedic journey with Dan Harmon and friends as they participate in a fantasy role playing game. It's a serious television show. Okay. She made it somewhere into that. That's funny. I wonder what year, because obviously it spans. I'll have to look into that later. All right. Next up, Simu Liu, Canadian actor, writer, producer, and stuntman. So I I was I was a big fan of Kim's Convenience, the Canadian TV show. Yeah, that, that's where I first saw him. He was the um, he was the older brother and like the 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 guy that always took off his shirt. And then he was in Marvel. It's a good role to have. Yeah, it's no. A good role to and have. then he was in Marvel. That's literally <laughs> like the only two things I know about him. He seems like a real funny guy, too, based on just, like, his uh, interviews and other stuff. Like, you know, like, again, I have even less exposure because, like, while I I heard of that other show, like, I, I wouldn't have been able to place him 
Yeah, five years um, of that, dude. I remember watching it consistently. And yeah, maybe because he's Canadian uh, too, right? Yeah. You know, we don't uh, we don't pay as much attention to them as they pay to us, I feel like. Yeah, right. It's it's like Canadians want to make it in the US. US don't want to <laughs> Americans Not particularly. Don't make, you know, like, I only the only reason my knowledge about Canada has expanded is hockey. It's literally the only reason. I still geographically I still have a hard time placing where is what. Like the conferences and the divisions have helped me. I can I can kind of give an idea because I know who's in which conference, like East West. So I can I know if it's more Eastern or Western Cape, but I don't I don't know shit about Canada. Nobody does, Gabe. It's not a real place. No. <laughs> Boo. Snow Mexico. <laughs> uh <laughs> last on our list, Brie Larson, American actress. Captain Marvel herself. I what else was she known for, by the way, besides Captain let's, Marvel? Let's look. I know she was in uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yes, she was the the girlfriend in Scott Pilgrim, but a very a very small role. I, like, yeah. What other big thing did she do besides? Okay. Fast X, obviously. Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, no, but she wasn't she in a previous? Uh, uh... No, there's gonna be there's gonna be more stuff. Hey, God. Um, Twenty One Jump Street. The movie remakes, not the original. Yes. Don Juan. I did see that. I remember that being Scarlett Johansson and um, Gordon Joseph Levitt, though. I don't remember her. You are correct. I don't know what her part was, but that's yep. in her okay. movie here. Yeah, the fact that you have to search that far. She's, she's, yeah, uh, she's, she was in Green Lantern. Again, was not Blake Lively or Ryan Reynolds, though. <laughs> <laughs> Rampart. Goodwill Hunting. That, what? That movie was Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, Matt Damon, and Mimi Driver. Hey, man. Apparently, she's been around. Apparently. You know, if we watch that movie, we'll just see her in the background in the classroom. Yeah, she's be like, hello. Uncredited. <laughs> yep. All right, Brie Larson. No, that's... Good for her. There you go. Born. <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, all right, on to deaths. Or should I say death? Singular today. Um, but a big one. We have Sergio Leone, Italian film director, producer, and screenwriter, credited as the pioneer of the spaghetti western genre. He is widely regarded as one of the most influential directors in the history of cinema. A hundred percent agree. Uh, Leone's filmmaking style includes juxtaposing extreme close-up shots with lengthy long shots. His films include the Dollars trilogy of westerns featuring Clint Eastwood, Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and the Once Upon a Time films, Once Upon a Time in the West, Duck, You Sucker, and Once Upon a Time in America. Born on January 3rd, 1929 in Rome, Leone was the son of cinema pioneer Vincenzo Leone, known as director Roberto Roberti, or Leone Roberto Roberti, and silent film actress, this one's going to be even harder, her name is Edvig... I, Val, I can't pronounce it. Can't Giuseppe. Do it. <laughs> wow. Um, Anti-Italian racism. Uh, during his school days, Leone was a classmate of his later musical collaborator, uh, Enzio Morricone. Oh, they were classmates grade. in what? In third grade. I know, right? Like, I had to keep oh. this stuff in. This is random background, but, like, it blew my mind when I'm reading this Dude. <laughs> I mean... If you saw those two names on a list, you'd be like, "Wow, oh, those guys probably knew each other, right? <laughs> Which would be, again, 
kind of ridiculous just because they're both Italian, but they did. Damn. <laughs> know, no, but right? not not only that though, to become who they become. Right? And giants in their field. Oh my god. That's like, you know, like yeah, no, wow, that's impressive. I know, I know. Uh, after watching his father work on film sets, Leone began his own career in the film industry at the age of 18 after dropping out of law studies at university. Like he was going to law school and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to get into movies. Uh, okay. And there's a quote from him that was pretty cool here. And I'm not going to do the Italian version, but Thank God. cinema must be spectacle. <laughs> I thought you meant the That's... accent game. <laughs> I, thought you... <laughs> I thought you meant I'm not going to do the Italian accent. <laughs> I'm going to do the hands, though, the whole time. <laughs> uh, no, but they have the quote in Italian, and I was like, there's no way. Cinema must be spectacle. That's what the public wants. And for me, the most beautiful spectacle is that of the myth. So you you read that, and you think, ah, oh, okay, like, I mean, his uh, his westerns make a lot more sense, right? Yeah. Like The man with very, no name. Very, very mythical. Yeah. In the mid-1960s, Historical epics fell out of favor with audiences, but Leone had shifted his attention to a subgenre which became to be known as the Spaghetti Western, owing its origin to the American Western. His film, A Fistful of Dollars, was based upon Akira Kurosawa's Edo-era samurai adventure, Yojimbo. Leone's film elicited a legal challenge from the Japanese director, though Kurosawa's film was in turn probably based on the 1929 Daishel Hemet novel, Red Harvest. A Fistful of Dollars is also notable for establishing Clint Eastwood as a star. Until that time, Eastwood had been an American television actor with a few credited, or sorry, with few credited film roles. So again, giants building giants. My God. Um, the look of A Fistful of Dollars was established by its Spanish locations, which presented a violent and morally complex version of the American Old West. The film paid tribute to the traditional American Western films, but significantly departed from them in storyline, plot, characterization, and mood. Leone gains credit for one great breakthrough in the Western genre still followed today. In traditional Western films, many heroes and villains looked al alike as if they had just stepped out of a fashion magazine with clearly drawn moral opposites, even down to the hero wearing a white hat and yeah. the villain wearing a black hat except for the most successful of the tradition Western cowboys, Hopalong Cassidy, who wore a black outfit upon a pale horse. Leone's characters were, in contrast, more realistic and complex. Usually lone wolves in their behavior, they rarely shaved, looked dirty, and sweated profusely, with strong suggestion of criminal behavior. The characters were also morally ambiguous by appearing generously compassionate or nakedly and brutally self-serving, as the situation demanded. Relationships revolved around power and retributions were emotion-driven rather than conscience-driven. Some critics have noted the irony of an Italian director who could not speak English and had never even visited the United States, let alone the American Old West, almost single-handedly redefining the typical vision of the American cowboy. According to Christopher Frayling's book, Something to Do with Death, Leone knew a great deal about the American Old West. It fascinated him as a child, which carried into his adulthood and his films. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's the biggest key point, right? That that he makes a Western in Europe and then you know, American Westerns start to try to copy what he did in Europe. 
and just redefines the genre. And 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 maybe this is why I I've never been a fan of like uh, John Wayne movies. True Grit, I will say, True Grit was a really really good film, but. But that whole like hero acts a certain way, dresses a certain way, the cleanliness of everything. I think maybe that's what gra- I, why I gravitated towards the the westerns from Sergio Leone because those are the first ones to me where I'm like, because the thing is also remember, I watched these presumably while in Nicaragua while under the age of six or seven, mm. where. You know, you're you are being exposed to American films and European films, any film that's coming your way. And that movie happened to come our way. And I believe my father was a big fan of them. So that's how I got exposed to them. And and when I look when I think about looking around at what was around me, it wasn't clean and it wasn't a bunch of white guys. It was the guys in the movie. Like, you know, and maybe that's the connection I have with it where like they looked more real to me. And then as an adult, I watched these John Wayne films and these uh, singing cowboy films, and I just could not connect with them at all. I couldn't. Yeah, I I think uh, authenticity kind of, there has to be some level of that. And there, there's definitely some John Wayne movies I like, um, but it definitely uh, feels more believable the spaghetti western and also the the movies that kind of copied that um i mentioned uh in that other or when talking uh, previously about I, I like that gunfight from uh open range open range yeah, yeah. where he just caps the dude immediately and you're like that probably would happen you know like this whole like let's square up and let's like nah man like <laughs> but you know what's funny though up until that movie i had never seen that and then after that movie i was like oh wow this is like you can't unsee it. Yeah, it stays in your head. Like, no, this you're like you said, this makes sense. Like, I would. I mean, it's, there's no rules. It, it, a duo makes sense in feudal Japan. It does not make sense in the wild wild west. <laughs> no, no. Plus, firearms change a lot of things about <laughs> your your behavior. <laughs> they definitely do. Uh, um, our, our our last bit there, of course, is uh, Leonie died on. Uh, the 30th of April in 1989 uh, at his home in Rome of a heart attack at the age of 60. Uh, he was buried in the cemetery of Patricia de Mar. He was only 60? Yeah. That's actually surprising shit. Because when I think about yeah, it... especially I w- with that Italian, you know, they live all that healthy living. And I was just talking to my coworker about Jack Nicholson and, and Clint Eastwood. And Jack Nicholson is 86, and Clint Eastwood is 93 and about to direct the movie. That means that Sir Giuliani had another 30 years worth of directing left in him. Just, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. That is young. Again, like, I'm getting to the age. What does that shirt say? I can't believe I'm the age of old people now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm getting to that age where, like, um, yeah, like, I guess 60 isn't old. 20 years ago, 60 was old. Oh, yeah. It was it was dirt old. Yeah. And now I'm like, <laughs> I guess it's not that old, you know, like because I see people 15 years older than me. And I'm like, they're relatively healthy. You know, yeah. They, and they while lift. I don't have uh, uh, well, to be fair, there have been some changes that have made that a little more, you know, because like even still, like potentially people of that of the slightly older bracket years ago weren't maybe as healthy in some of their there's been some potential lifestyle changes for people generally uh but 
uh, I don't, I have kids of my own, but like I got, you know, niece and nephews and like, I'm sitting there, you know, thinking about stuff too with like, man, like they're going to be, you know, as they're getting older, I'm watching them and I'm just like, oh no, like there's going to be some like fresh 20 year olds in my life in not too much time. What the hell am I going to do? How am I going to, you know, I remember being 20 and like looking at people that were like, you know, I'm going to be like 40 something looking at like 40 year olds and being like, those are kind of old people. Look at these fogies. I'm going to be the fogey. And you know what? Like, it's funny you say that, but like, you know, social media, right? I didn't know that I could look at a fit 60 year old or a fit 70 year old, except for like Jack LaLanne. Was that his name? Remember that guy who used to. Jack LaLanne. Yeah, I do remember bending pennies until he died. You know, now we. Arnold. uh, Yeah, Arnold is 70 something, right? It's fucking looking, looking, looking good. His biceps are still. Three heart surgery? Two? Or four? But I think that has a lot to do with too, right? That you can go online and you're like, oh, a 60-year-old can do that. A 60-year-old can do Uh, more pull-ups than me. Christ. You know, before we knew, we heard, but now we can see it. Or just had your, you know, and all you have to go off is your own experience. A lot of the older people in in my life were, you know, infirmed in some way or another. Yeah, they weren't. I had back problems. They weren't doing a recliner. They weren't doing 20 pull-ups. No, we're not. <laughs> I'm not doing 20 pull-ups, all right? <laughs> I'm not doing 20 in one shot. No, no, no. Uh, four or five sets. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's still 20. I can count. I can do, I can again, I can do I can do four sets of five. I can do 20. You know, five minutes, six minutes. Just got to take a breather. Yeah, yeah. Or four. Uh, on to our movies. We got some good ones today. Uh, we're starting off with Kickboxer. Released September 8th of 1989, Kickboxer is an American action film uh, franchise that totals seven films. The first installment revolves... Yeah, I didn't know that. I really thought like five, four maybe. Because I remember watching... I think Batista was in one of them. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised by seven. Seven's a lot. I like had to double take that and I was like, "Mm," for future reference... Uh, the first installment revolves around a character named Kurt Sloan, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, Eric Sloan, Dennis Alexio, is an American kickboxing pro helped by his brother Kurt, Jean-Claude Van Damme, in his quest for glory. But when the two go to Thailand to take on legendary Tong Po, uh, Michael Kissy, the opponent viciously beats Eric and leaves him paralyzed. Swearing vengeance, Kurt tracks down the master, Zien Chow, Dennis Chan, and begins learning the sport himself while also getting caught up in criminal intrigue involving the thuggish crime boss, Freddie Lee, Cotting Lee. Okay. Very quickly. I recently watched kickboxer. I'm going to say that within the last six months I watched it. Now I did watch it dubbed in German. Uh, <laughs> German experience, German dub with English subtitles. I watched that. I, when you said that, I was like, Oh, they are brothers. Now here's the thing. Like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and the other guy is, is I I thought he was white and mixed with like um, South American because he has very curly hair. The other guy, mm. um, they didn't pass his brothers very well. They did not. They did not. <laughs> and when you say it now, it's like, oh, they're like supposed to be blood brothers, but because of the names. But I was like, I really thought they were like one was adopted or they were like uh, orphaned <laughs> brothers. You know, like. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Uh, the other thing, obviously, that stands out from that film is the dance scene, right? The, 
You remember that scene, right, Gabe? I do remember. Yeah. But that movie's great, by the way. No 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 shit on that movie. That movie's fucking great. A budget of two point seven million. I mean Bloodsport was less. Grossed fifty million. Damn. That's on bad. two point that's that's a good return. <laughs> that's better than a horror movie, let me tell you. <laughs> they're they're killing it. Damn. Impressive. Uh no wonder no wonder Van Damme had a a, a run. Uh, yeah, and I mean, these. just last year we talked about Bloodsport, right? I mean, the dude yep. is on a roll. Okay. Uh, uh, next up, uh, Cyborg. <laughs> Fucking Van Damme. Released April 7th of 1989. Cyborg is a 1989 American martial arts cyberpunk film directed by Albert Poon. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme stars as Gibson Rickenbacker a mercenary who battles a group of murderous marauders led by Fender Tremolo, Vincent Klin, along the east coast of the United States in a post-apocalyptic future, followed by two sequels, Cyborg 2 and 3, The Recycler. No. Cyborg 3, The Recycler. Oh, wow. Okay. Cyborg 2 was just Cyborg 2. No. I remember this film. I remember the post-apocalyptic world. I remember uh, it's a little girl that is in this world and she needs help. He steps in to help her. She is a cyborg. It's almost like Children of Man where he has to like get her to mm. safety. Um, okay. I remember he had a a knife, a, a boot knife. He had a boot knife. I remember Always that. good to have a boot knife. Always good to have a boot knife. And I remember that the post-apocalyptic world was just a bunch of unfinished buildings, a lot of, a lot of concrete, <laughs> like uh, like uh, foundations. I remember yeah. that and fire, you know, like like burning trash cans type of thing. I remember all of that, and I remember the bad guy. I don't remember his name. I don't remember his name was 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 a uh, fender there, but he yeah. had like chainmail, and like you know, just looked like a badass, and he had like. 100 fucking goons and they were all trying to kill him uh but yeah i remember like a a a watery coastal like beach ending if i recall i think he has to get the girl to some boat that's gonna get her to safety um and maybe a mullet i I predict a mullet in that film a mullet a mullet would be spectacular i don't i'd I'd never seen cyborg so i can't i can't say this is one of those you could you could go without like I think you should watch Bloodsport. I think you should watch Kickboxer. I think you can skip Cyborg and go right into like Universal Soldier. What do you, you think can... about Kickboxers two through seven? Uh, <laughs> two, three, four. I remember these movies because there was a TV show called Step by Step back in the day, and there was a, a a character in that show that played like the 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 you know the 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 dumb jock character. He okay. was also he was very much in shape, and I think he ended up playing like the the kickboxer character for like two two or three films. Okay, that is some pop culture knowledge for everybody right there. Deep cuts. Um, the budget for this, I think it was hard to find a number like citation was needed, but it says less than five hundred thousand. Oh my god, <laughs> Jesus! Uh, and it made uh, nine point five to ten point two million. So the- I mean, uh, for. I'm going to guess that this was like that. I'm going to guess that Bloodsport, Kickboxer and Cyborg were all like were all produced and like had to be right. 
they, they had to be filmed around the same time and they just got released a year, yeah. years apart. There's no, oh my God. But although you say that and I'm like, yeah, Cyborg was under a million. <laughs> now that I think about it, like I said, the 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 background, the production was was unfinished. I mean, if, buildings. if you could pay that though and make ten ten million, it's pretty good. That's true. That's true. Can't complain. Oh wow. Uh, all right. Next up, Major League. Oh man, that's a good one. Released April seventh, nineteen eighty nine. Uh, Major League is an American sports comedy film produced by Chris. Chesser and Irby Smith, written and directed by David S. Ward, stars Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes, James Gammon, uh, Bob Euchre, Rene Russo, Margaret Witten, Dennis Haysbert, and Corbin Burnson, telling the story of a single regular season of a fictionalized version of the Cleveland Indians baseball team. Major League grossed 75 million worldwide from an 11 million budget and spawned two sequels. Uh, neither of which repeated the success of the original film. I did not know about part three. I knew about part two. Back to the bait. Was it back to the back to bake six or back to the minors? So, Major League Two is the second one, and Major League Back to the Minors is three. Oh, oh, then I did know about part three. Okay, but you didn't know about part two. No, no, because I watched. I watched part one and two. But I mm. guess I must have known about three. Heard oh, of the other. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, Major League is a fun movie, man. It really is. Like uh, I haven't seen it. Charlie Sheen plays a pitcher um, who has like a hundred to one hundred and ten mile per hour pitch that he can't control. So he's a <laughs> the wild cannon. He's a wild. He's, yeah, no, like literally. Tom Berenger plays the team captain slash uh, catcher who is at the end of his career realizing that he's that he can't do much else um wesley snipes plays the daryl strawberry character super fast runner steals bases that's his thing he, he steals tons of bases and then the rest of the crew oh uh uh corano the guy who ends up playing uh the president in 24 the tv show uh jose corano i think is his character he plays this dominican who believes in voodoo I remember that. Um, <laughs> it's a fun. It was a fun film. I remember, and then Rene Russo, Rene Russo is the wife of a uh, baseball player on the team who gets sick and tired of. Um, no, no, wait, no, no. I'm confusing it. No, no. Rene Russo plays the love interest of Tom Berenger's character, um, who got sick and tired of waiting for the um, athlete to realize that you know he needed to think about other career ventures. And I think in part two, he becomes the coach, if I recall. Some character growth. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun flick. Like, Charlie Sheen just plays the, 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 I think, like, his walkout song is, like, Bad to the Bone or something because, you know, like, (laughs) so it turns out the reason why he can't control his pitch is because he can't see. He needed glasses. (laughs) He just refused? Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Okay. All 75 right. million that's impressive shit yeah and apparently they were like all right let's cash in on that and they could not there's not so much you can do with it yeah it's a baseball film. no so it's, it's no field of dreams gabe no all right next star trek 5 the final frontier released june 9th 1989 star trek 5 the final frontier uh is an american science fiction film directed by william shatner 
uh, based on the television series Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. Fifth installment of the film series takes place shortly after the events of Star Trek IV. This is all, uh, you could probably guess this. Um, its plot follows the crew of the USS Enterprise A as they confront renegade Vulcan Cybok, who is searching for God at the center of the galaxy. Now, the synopsis was interesting, but I had to include more info because I don't remember. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen five, but I don't remember it. It wasn't like four. It wasn't watched regularly in my house. So like I would have seen it and I, I did not remember the premise or any of this other interesting trivia. Okay. So the film was directed by Shatner following two films directed by his co-star Leonard Nimoy. Okay. Had some friction. Uh, Shatner developed the initial storyline in which Cybok searches for God, but instead finds a devil. His primary inspiration for this phenomena uh, or I'm sorry, his primary inspiration was the phenomena of televangelism. He became and a televangelist. Fraud. Am I expressing? No, he thought it was he thought it was bullshit, and there was so ah. much fraud. It was like, aha, search for God, but you find the devil. Was his premise based on televangelism, which I think is hilarious. It's that's. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. But like, what a what a take back 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 then from someone from like his era. That's wild. Right. This would have been around the time of of. Um of uh tammy Faye in them right on the uh yeah 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 yeah. okay okay uh many involved objected to the script and plot series creator gene roddenberry disliked the original script while nimoy and deforest kelly objected to the premise that the characters spot and leonard mccoy would betray shatner's james t kirk the script went through multiple revisions to please the cast and paramount pictures including cuts in the effects laden climax of the film Despite a Writers Guild strike cutting into the film's pre-production, Paramount commenced filming in October of 88. Many Star Trek veterans assisted in the film's production. Art director Nilo Rodis developed and designed for many of the film's locales, shots, and characters, while Herman Zimmerman served as a production designer. Production problems plagued the film on set and during location shooting in Yosemite National Park and the Mojave Desert. Because FX House, Industrial Light, and Magic's best crews were busy and would be too expensive, the production used Brian Farron's company to film FX, which had to be revised several times to lower production costs. The film's ending was reworked because of poor test audience reaction and the failure of some planned special effects. Jerry Goldsmith, composer for Star Trek The Motion Picture, returned to score The Final Frontier. So apparently this one had a ton of problems, like a crazy script, a ton of problems, it was a wild ride. I kind of, I kind of feel like I need to rewatch it with that context of knowing how fraught it was. Yeah, I don't remember this one at all, at all. I don't either. You know, you, the death of Spock. You know, you remember like the Voyager return, or whatever. the search. Yeah, like I, the I whales. So, so budget for this was thirty-three million, <clears throat> and it grossed sixty-three million. So, like, not a didn't, yeah, didn't do great wasn't a big blockbuster obviously made its money back but like uh i mean i liked how they said to like all the budget cuts and stuff at 33 million still <laughs> like, that is a lot of money they couldn't afford the, the the effects they wanted the story they wanted <laughs> anything wild and then of course famously shatner and nimoy not getting along like i'm sure shatner felt like he had something he wanted to like upstage the previous two if nimoy did them probably so what a what an interesting situation yeah uh all right next honey i shrunk the kids 
Oh, classic. Rick Moranis classic. at his best. And something that I actually, I, this one I've seen many <laughs> times, many times. Released June 23rd of 1989, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is an American comic science fiction film. Uh, it is the first installment of a film franchise and served as the directorial debut of Joe Johnson. Johnston. Uh, the film stars Rick Moranis, Matt Freer, Monica Streisand, and Kristen Sutherland. In the film, a struggling inventor accidentally shrinks his kids, along with the neighbor's kids, down to the size of a quarter inch. After being accidentally thrown out with the trash, they must work together and venture their way back through the backyard wilderness filled with dangerous insects and man-made hazards. Here's some interesting stuff I did not know. So the budget for this was $18 million. Okay. Get a citation need. I'm not sure how accurate that was. Do you know how much this movie made? I'm so I know they made at least two sequels, and I think there was a TV show, right? I think so. Because I remember Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Honey, we shrunk ourselves, and like something like that. Yeah. And guess I don't who the names, but it was. And guess who's shrunk now? I think. <laughs> shrunk three, the shrunkening. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that this movie made bank, and I'm gonna say a crazy number like 175 million. Not crazy enough. It made 222.7 million. Oh my god! It set a record for a while. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was theatrically released in the United States on June 23rd of '89 and distributed by Buena Vista Pictures. It was an unexpected box office success, grossing 222 million worldwide. Equivalent to 524.1 million in 2022. Jesus. Becoming the highest grossing live action Disney film of all time, a record it held for five years. Its success led to two sequels, beginning with Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. Ah, right. As well as the television, as well as a television series and several theme park attractions. An animated short film, Tummy Troubles, starring Roger Rabbit, was shown in theaters while the film, uh, with the film during its box office run. Wait, wait. So, what was the name of the sequels? Honey blew up herself. Honey. Yeah, they didn't name the other one in this in the article here. Let's find it. Hang I'm on. telling you, it's it's Honey. We shrunk ourselves. I think, that... I think that 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 was the one familiar. The blew up one is the one I couldn't. Yeah. Remember. Although that makes sense, right? If you're gonna make the opposite, if you're gonna make the sequel, you gotta make the opposite. We shrunk yeah, ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we... Yeah. So okay. wait, they That's fine. they were enormous. I don't think I saw part two. If they were big. I, like I, did, I had to. So, honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, I blew up the kid. The kid, singular. And then, honey, we shrunk ourselves. The kid. So, they blew one kid up. Okay. Hang on. Honey, I blew up the kid. I got to say, Gabe, I like your version. The the, the shrinkening. The shrunkening. Yeah, I think that was good. Yeah. I'll market that. Uh, okay. So, he accidentally targets his two-year-old son with the enlarging ray. Toddler experiences huge growth spurts every time he is exposed to electricity. When their child grows to become over a hundred feet tall, a <laughs> hundred feet tall must use a shrink ray to cure his giant gigantism before he destroys all of Las Vegas. No, I haven't seen this one. Oh, gay! Okay. I've seen us. Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. I've definitely seen it. Yeah. How do we? One in three, twos are just not getting, not it's getting a, much it's love. It's a Vegas today. film, Gabe. You have to watch it. I do. But yeah, I was shocked when I saw how much it made. Yeah, and that that's it set a, a record. lot of money. I had to talk about that. That's a lot of money for a comedy of all things like that, Insane. right? Insane. Yeah. Man, Rick Moranis. Do you remember? He did Ghostbusters, and then he goes on to make this. 
Yeah, he had himself a time. He did. Good for him. You know, he quit acting to be a full time parent. I think I believe his. Yeah. I believe his wife passed away. Right. Ooh, I, I'm not. I didn't. I didn't I, know that was why. I, I want to quit. I want to make an assumption and say he, his wife passed away and he became a stay at home dad and he quit the the movie Hollywood business because of that reason. He said, "I'm a single parent," so that's that's making an awful lot of sense. Uh, in 1997, Miranda's took a hiatus from working in the film industry. He later explained, quote, I'm a single parent, and I just found that it was too difficult to manage to raise my kids and do the traveling involved in making movies. So I took a little bit of a break. And a little bit of a break turned into a longer break. And then I found that I really didn't miss it. Uh, after having declined an invitation to make a cameo appearance in 2016's Ghostbusters, Miranda's clarified in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter that despite his hiatus, he has not, in fact, retired, but instead had become selective about future roles oh okay okay uh all right next lethal weapon 2 nice lethal or weapon or is more it more lethal weapons is it lethal weapon 2 no safety <laughs> lethal weapons oh Ooh, Gabe, good one uh july 7th of 1989 lethal weapon 2 is an american buddy cop action comedy film directed by richard donner and starring mel gibson Danny Glover, Joe Pesci, uh, Joss Ackland, Derek O'Connor, and Patsy Kinst. Wait, they uh, this... they introduced Joe Pesci in part two? Yeah. I thought he was introduced in part three and that Chris Rock was introduced in part four. But now this changes the timeline. Go on, Gabe. What was this movie about? It does. About? It does. Um, Gibson and Glover respectively replaced their roles as LAPD officers Martin Riggs and Roger Murtaugh who protect an irritating federal witness, Pesci, while taking on a gang of South African drug dealers hiding behind diplomatic immunity. The film was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Sound Editing for Robert G. Henderson. The film received mostly positive reviews uh, and earned more than how much money? Hang on, before you go on, I have to say this. Diplomatic immunity! Um, I believe this is a successful film, and I'm going to say... I'm going to stick to my number of 175. Not not again, not quite enough. Damn. So with a budget of 30 million, it made 227.9. It beat Honey Shrunk the Kids by 2 million and it released uh, by, a, by 5. By 5 million and it released a month later. Wow. Okay. Joe Pesci was hot. Some alone years, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh uh I just remember my standout from him, and I think it's from, I think it's from this one because obviously he came back later as well. He gets mad when they go through the drive-through, like the drive-through messes up his his food because they got to protect him, right? So they take him to get food or whatever, and then his food's messed up, and then he's he goes on about how it's a scam, you know. And I remember what stuck out to me is you watch this movie had just a ton of swearing, of course, right? So of if course. you watch the movie at home. He's sitting there going, they fuck you at the drive-thru. That's their plan this whole time. They know you're not going to come back, so they just fuck you at the drive-thru. And on <laughs> Spike TV, they have to edit it, so he's going, they frick you at the drive-thru. <laughs> they know you're not going to come back, so they purposely frick you, which is hilarious. Uh, that is That's hilarious. That's my standout memory. So that was part two. Okay. Mm-hmm. So part three is the Jet Li version, right? Jet Li is in part three. I, I think or he's Or is he in, part four? He's part four. So what happens in part three? Because I really thought Joe Pesci was part three. And then part four was Joe Pesci, Chris Rock, and I guess Jet Li. That's, yeah, that's four. Okay, so 
what did we we covered what year 93 to 2092 i believe so we already covered the year that has this do we not cover it because this is a 92 maybe it wasn't good enough also 90 you know how long ago when 92 was gabe that was a year and a half ago i know i I can't remember which isn't surprising i guess that's really not a good benchmark how long ago it was but it was a long time ago also uh, veteran police detective Roger Murtaugh, Danny Glover, is only days away from retiring when he and his tough partner, Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson, are roped into an important internal affairs case working with the beautiful no-nonsense Sergeant Lorna Cole, Rene Russo, and aided by the shifty informant Leo Getz, Joe Pesci. Whatever you want, Leo Getz. Uh, Murtaugh and Riggs begin to close in on a black market weapons operation involving a corrupt cop arms dealer. Okay, Jack Travis, I remember that. Okay. All right. Internal affairs. Nobody likes internal affairs. Nobody does. Especially, Not even internal affairs. <laughs> especially when you're the one being uh, investigated. That's all I'm saying. All right. We have a couple others to uh, mention. Um, Billy the Kid. Gore Vidal's Billy the Kid? Gore Vidal's version, yep. With Val um, Kilmer as the leading man, correct. Uh, I don't. I I don't think I've seen this one. It's a good one. I think it's a good one. It's well done. Um, they talk about the the Mexico years where where he was a fugitive over there and where he got caught. And they 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 talk about the relationship that he had with um, um, Garrett Pat Garrett. Pat Garrett, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, I, I I liked it. I, I thought it was a good film. So this one is overshadowed, right? By Young Guns. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So like, I saw Young Guns, and then I know it. It kind of reminds me. So like, Costner did a Wyatt Earp. He did, yeah, Earp movie, yeah. and I remember that it was on two VHSs. Like I remember it was a long. Yeah, it was one of those on epic VHSs. ones. Yeah. I remember seeing that, but I, I don't think I may have seen it like once that that movie, and again Tombstone was always like, well, that's Wyatt Earp and, and company, you know, like it's hard to, so like, I always had a hard time going back and I was like, wow, oh, Tombstone now, like, how am I going to, are you going to beat, how are you going to beat Tombstone? So I feel like it might be a comparison, but I should probably watch the alternative uh, variants. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say that this was like a, a indie film or one of those like art films. And then our, our, our other honorable mention is UHF starring Weird Al Yankovic. David Bowie and Fran Drescher. I did not know about David Bowie. I remember watching this film. I remember it literally starts with the Indiana Jones intro where he's running away from the ball after he steals the golden. <laughs> but he actually gets run over by the ball. How <laughs> much more realistic. Yeah, he gets run over by the ball. And what happens is he is a he's a person with an uh, overactive imagination so he's working at a burger joint, and as he flips a burger and squashes it down, when the ball rolls over him, what's left of him is the squashed down burger, and then you see him flip it, and then you realize it was just his his imagination. That's funny. Yeah, no, it's an interesting. It's, it was an interesting film. It was funny. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's slapstick. It's it's dumb. It's like you know, Mad Magazine style stuff. Yeah, it's a great film. The thing that stood out to me that I wanted to mention is that it's had a budget of five million, and it made six point one. <laughs> Oh no, oh no! But you know what though? I just recently watched Weird, uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic film. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's one of the funniest things I've seen this year, dude. Oh, okay. uh, something it's on my list. I got to yeah, watch that. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al, 
And I thought it was going to be like a Dewey Cox or like a, like a, you know, some sort of like Bohemian Rhapsody. No, um, they decided to just make up an entire film about Weird Al being the greatest musician of all time. And that's it like, like a super fictionalized version of Weird Al. Super. Like super is not even like, I, <laughs> yeah, no, there were, there's drug cartels, there's shootouts. I was, exp- I honestly thought it was going to be a funny, you know, biopic and, and, and you know, and, and again, Dewey Cox, I mean, you know, parody. They it, went it, it, so far beyond. It It is so good, dude. It is so, so good. Radcliffe playing jacked. Weird oh Al yeah, funny. Just as a premise, just as a premise. Yeah, that's for that's for his uh, that's for his Jim Morrison uh, scene. By the way, <laughs> yes, Weird Al doing a Jim Morrison scene. So the only thing I think I've mentioned this before uh, when Weird Al came up, and I'm going to mention it every time uh, at Comic Con I saw him in person. Like he, we passed right by the booth where he was signing autographs. And there was a pretty decent sized line and we were on the way to something. But like, I remember I was like, it's fucking weird Al. Like I walked right past him. I was like, it's weird Al. It's one of the standout moments of Comic-Con for me, San Diego Comic-Con. I saw weird Al in person. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good movie, man. Like they, it, it is one of those things. And it, and it goes to show the character, the, the person that he is where he, he could have had a really great opportunity. I mean, it's a great opportunity to tell the story of, of a very unlikely superstar if you think about it right like parody yeah parodying music and he decides to take that opportunity to write the most ridiculously like, yeah 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 he's fictionalized... like no, 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 we're going big yeah yeah no <laughs> why would i want to tell my story when i can tell an absurd version of my story a that better is... story <laughs> it's 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 really fucking funny dude it's really good yeah i i thoroughly enjoyed watching that that was so good Okay, UHF comes out in 1989. Good for him. Like, he's, yep. 40 years later, he's still doing it. Uh, finally, we got our first appearances. Um, we have Rene Russo in Major League. And she was in Lethal Weapon 2? She wow. was, yeah. Major League was her first appearance. Breaking out. The To be fair, the Lethal Weapon was the next one, right? Yeah. Or was she in this? She wasn't in this one, right? No, we just didn't we, we just talk about Lethal Weapon 2? Wasn't that what she was in? She was in Lethal Weapon 3. Oh, okay. Then yes. Yeah, we talked about that. And she's the, she's the internal affairs officer. Yes, Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, Riggs' love interest. Yeah, he's finally ready to love again. Adam Sandler, going overboard. Oh, not not overboard, right? Not like a Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell. <laughs> no, going overboard. Okay. Never, okay. Don't know what it is. Uh, and then Martin Lawrence in Do the Right Thing. Oh, okay. So Adam Sandler joins SNL not too long after this, right? I'm going to trust your your memory on that better than mine. Because the early 90s, I don't think he was part of the early 90s. I think he was part of the mid 90s. Wow, look at him. Okay. Uh, here's the premise of that movie going overboard. A struggling young comedian takes a menial job on a cruise ship where he hopes for his big chance to make it in the world of cruise ship comedy. They're just aiming real high. <laughs> well, Gabe, we don't know what cruise ship comedy was like in 1989. Uh, I mean, we, we know a little something about cruise performances in the modern era. <laughs> Gabe, they only had two late night shows in 1989 or one. I think it was just Johnny Carson. So it's just open season. And and as we all know, like 
there was like five comedy clubs and like two of them were in LA. No, I think two of them were in Boston and three of them were in New York. I mean, <laughs> also, if you think about it, a cruise ship, Gabe, they can't go anywhere. You will perform they, every it's night. It's a captive audience. They, yeah. It's not like it's a submarine. Although you're also, also, but I mean, the problem is, you know, you're locked in with them. They're not locked in with you, potentially. Mm, that's true. So you can't be too bad because you got nowhere to go either. They might recognize you at the food court, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, God, I'm 89. Okay. There we go. Wait, was he the star of that film? Because now that you said uh, that, if he was a comedian. I mean, yeah. It, he's the he's he's the struggling young comedian. He's the 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 character, the main character. It's a two hundred thousand dollar budget and uh, two hundred to eight hundred thousand. Hang on, what's the hang on? What did this movie make? It's a big gap. Do, by we, the do way. we even know? No, there's nothing. <laughs> oh no! I can't be good. <laughs> All right. Well, he tried. He tried. I mean, what what do you think his character's name was? In that. Oh man. Uh, it's gonna have to be something dumb and funny, right? Like Dexter, or like Point. It's funny. It's something like Point Dexter. It's or a like it's a humorous name. Alfred E. Newman or something. Shecky Moskowitz. Mm, wow, Shecky. Okay. All right, that's eighties comedy for you. That's eighties comedy. Yep. <laughs> I think that that checks the box. Shecky. Uh, uh, uh. It checks out. <laughs> is it S H E C K Y? Uh, as yep, you got it. You know that classic Shecky name that uh, I got passed down for so many. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Kevin Smith's dog's name was Shecky. <laughs> Jesus. Was it also Moskowitz? No, so, no, we know what he was named after. Well, but that's German Austrian. Do we uh, do we have a backstory on Shecky? <laughs> Uh, I don't think we do. I, I assumed it was like uh, Jewish. Oh, okay, okay. I uh, I think which you know which fits Sandler. I said su- oh, that's true, huh? It just I find he was su- playing to what he knows. I find it surprising that he would have been like the the lead of his first movie. But if that's it was wild, a, isn't it? But if it was a two hundred thousand dollar film, but even nineteen eighty nine, that's like a million, right? It's got to be good for him. And then he gets into uh, SNL. Good for him. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film has four reviews listed, all of which are negative. Oh. But, I mean, it's hard the to... Film... <laughs> the title, the film first released regionally as The Unsinkable Shecky Moskowitz. That's a better name. Making a film cannot be easy, right? No. What you start with to what your finished product is must be night and day sometimes. How it huh? started, how it's going. It's a mess unsinkable and then you're just overboard <laughs> they're like you know what we decided that's a, that's a different message <laughs> we decided we're not going to sink the boat we're just going to throw the guy off the boat that's what i said you're also stuck with them but like i said at least it's not a submarine oof yeah yeah find us at pop culture <laughs> <your> instagram <laughs> Come, come for the laughs, stay for the relevance. <laughs>